Jill Twist, Joe Matarese, and Sean Eli, welcome to another session of Coffee in the Clouds with comedians. With comedians, how you guys doing? Awesome, <laughs> incredible. Joe's lying. I'm dying up here. Die, he's dying up here. Um, so listen, we'll go around the room, but we'll go we'll go ladies first. So, um, you know, Jill, who are you, and what do you do? My name is Jill Twist. I am a comedy writer. Um, most recently, I spent six years at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, um, and I'm a children's book author. Ooh, very nice. Ooh. Joe, you're <laughs> up at bat. That's good. That's that's good, Jill, because I was... I'll tell you in a second. So uh, <laughs> I'm, jo I'm Joe Matarese. Uh, I guess I would... Uh, I'm a stand-up comic uh, over 30 years as a stand-up comedian. Uh, I guess I'm a slight, slight actor, but uh, more of a stand-up. Cool. And Sean, let's see if your story changes. This is about the 90th time we've done this. So, so who are you and what do you do? I am Jill Twist. I am a stand-up comedian and children's book author. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, should, I have, should I remember what I said last week and have the same answer? I, I wrote one children's story. It's about a page long, and I think it's one of the best things I ever wrote. Hmm. Very cool. So, so guys, first of all, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, we've been doing these Coffee in the Cloud segments with comedians. Uh, it's a little bit of a brainstorm, a great idea from Sean. And, you know, it's turned into a thing. So um, we, we don't like talking about the pandemic. Sean always hates that. But, however, we do have to talk about it a little bit. Um, Jill, what would you be doing? Where would you be? What would be going on in your life right now if we were not uh, suffering from uh, COVID-19? Uh, well, the great and terrible thing about being a writer is that you mostly lock yourself in your apartment away from people anyway. Um, so as this was starting, I had locked myself in my apartment to write a play. Um, and I am still locked in my apartment. I think the thing that is the most different is I probably would be writing at coffee shops because I really like eavesdropping. And I miss, I think more than hugging my friends, more than just about anything else, I miss eavesdropping on other people's conversations. Um, but other than that, my life is very similar to what it was right before this. Wow, that's the first time we've heard that one. Um, Joe, how about you? Um, well, if, if the, I guess if the pandemic pandemic didn't hit, um, I was doing a one man show, um, called remember when I was only one, th I only did one, uh, performance at a theater down in, uh, South Jersey. And I was, uh, in the midst of booking it at a bunch of different theaters, uh, in South Jersey and Philadelphia where I grew up because that's where my following is the biggest and I was also booking it here in Westchester uh, County right outside of New York City where I live now and I have a following up here so it's like I have two followings so uh, and then the pandemic hit and, and the hardest part and Jill can probably relate is that uh, if this pandemic ends, it's like you're not connected to the material anymore. You know, it was like something I was really feeling then. And now I'm really not feeling it as much. And I started writing a new new one person show. Hmm. So I only did it once. And uh, I, I, I still do it for corporate events. 
it like works as a virtual show, believe it or not. Yeah. And, and Sean, how about you? Well, you know, it's interesting because I haven't done much stand-up comedy. I've done some Zoom shows. I've done two shows in, literally in front of my house on the street for neighbors because we have, we have a weekly happy hour. I, I, I describe it as like we have the best block in town. We have a weekly happy hour, and my neighbors were saying, well, why don't you tell us some jokes? And I've been saying, no, no, this is social. I don't tell jokes while I'm drinking. And then I'm like, I have all this material that I wrote at the beginning of the pandemic, and I've never had the opportunity to try it out. So let me try it on a new audience. So I tried it out on my neighbors, and they liked it, and did it again last week. And I'm going to make the, I hope I'm going to make this a weekly thing. And listen, this may be an open mic night for me once a week to do five or ten minutes up front for the neighbors. But I realize here's the problem: you write material based on things that happen in your life. And one of the reasons twenty, one of the reasons twenty-two year olds don't have generally great comedy material is there's not that much that happens in their life that that people can relate to. So if I've done nothing for the past six months except stay home and, and watch TV, I have nothing to write about. So that's a problem. But Jill, I can help you with your eavesdropping habit because I do have a friend who installs surveillance equipment. So just tell me which neighbors you want to eavesdrop on, get them out of their apartment for a couple of hours, and we got it done. That is an honor. To, to be able to take it from a habit to a, a, a crime is really something that, that I admire in you, Sean. I keep thinking about, I've been writing a screenplay, and you just don't know, the screenplay is not about the pandemic, and it's set now-ish, and you sort of go, like, is everyone wearing masks in my screenplay? Like, do I need, how much of this do I need to include in a movie that might come out in three years? It's something you have to think about a lot because this might be over. I hope it's over, but that uh, doesn't mean it won't have completely changed what everything looks at. So all your material might feel weird, but also like, what's your world going to look like? Right. Yeah. One, one of my friends who's a director of photography and he, you know, shoots a lot of television shows and short films and and full length films. He was saying that a lot of the projects, the guys have to go back and rewrite to make it fit like not even like fit pandemic, but literally like it has to fit where they can be far away from each other and not be nervous you know wow. so it's like you can't have like two people kissing in a scene anymore you got to rewrite it well, the wow. sex scenes are going to be certainly different <laughs> yeah i mean you got to have a really big penis to be able to have sex from a distance <laughs> which i do which is great so you guys know a lot of people from the business from the industry writers actors comedians uh, people from film etc is is anybody does anybody come to mind where you say wow you know they actually they're actually pulling it off they're at, they're actually doing good they're 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 making money you know they're actually making money does anything come to mind where you say wow you know they 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 figured out a way to crack the code on this thing well the simpsons probably will do you know animated stuff i imagine they can do remotely i don't even know maybe i i mean do they does anybody know the answer to that like like the the non live actor media is that or do they still need people to to congregate in a studio or in a building to pull that stuff off? I really don't know. My guess. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. I was just saying, my guess is you do it, you know, you're hooked into a board recording your sound, and then you just do a Zoom with the other actor, and you cut out the Zoom completely, and you just go with the uh, recorded audio, and they mix it into the animation. I think it would work. That's probably the only medium that can still keep going is animated. Hmm. I mean, I think everything's better when you get people in a room together, but we've been watching the late night shows do it. And those are rooms that used to, you know, come up with all their jokes together and then record in front of an audience. But I feel like if they can do that, I feel pretty sure that animated shows can record on their own. Yeah. um, if, If they choose to. I got lucky enough once to be in a table read for the family guy. One of the guys I started out with is a writer for the show. And, and you see, in the table reads there literally Seth MacFarlane is so good and so used to it he's not even there he's on a speakerphone when I was there and he was doing like six different parts out loud on that speakerphone in the table and uh, he you know they need those table reads to help punch up the scripts and he was just so good at it and uh, I imagine you know certain shows like that if you have some good great actors in it they're going to be able to pull it off if you have some uh, c and d players you know those guys it's like stand up you know if you have a little bit of experience you're not going to be able to pull it off when it's harder hmm. yeah I'm, we've talked about this before like the late night talk shows i talk to my friends who are not in the business and they say we, we just stopped watching the late night talk shows because it's so different they mostly haven't pulled it off without an audience to have the same level of energy and it really feels like they're reading a teleprompter instead of performing and it's made a difference. But I, we still don't understand. Why are these all one-camera shoots? Why have they not shipped three or four cameras to get different angles on the host so you don't feel like you're just watching a guy in his living room? That's a good point. I, mean, I think they're just like how we feel when we do these Zooms sometimes and you don't feel like it went well, and then you just go, I'm not going to do those anymore. <laughs> like that, They yeah. probably are like... Let's just wait for this thing to end. We're not we're not going to invest crazy amount of money because no matter what you do, it's still going to be a guy standing in a room. So let let's just, you know, it, it's to me it, you could compare it to Major League Baseball and the NBA and NHL, where like if you've ever watched the uh, Major League Baseball now, they pump the sound effects in right, but yeah. just a little bit. So you kind of hear it, but if you listen on the radio, I've listened to a few games on the radio, they crank it up, and it sounds perfect. So uh, there's something about um, that that I, you know, that it, 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 they're afraid to, like, exaggerate it when you can see them, I guess. They don't want to make it fake, but mm. somehow fake kind of works if you do it right. Yeah, well, they also have time constraints because they record whenever they record. They've only got a few hours to get it ready. I mean, Jill knows this. She worked for John Oliver for six years. You know, you don't have that much time to get it ready to go on the air. And but you could, they could have a sound guy with like twenty different laugh effects, and and he could listen to a joke and say, okay, that's laugh effect one works best for that joke. They could do it. It just the question is, would the audience accept it, knowing that it's all faked? Yeah. So, so Jill, how did this come to be? Was this destiny, like? <laughs> was your career path all laid out, or or was this uh, was this a twist and turn? I mean, give us give us some backstory here. Sure. Um, no, I moved to New York City to be a musical theater actress, um, which 
was not to be, uh, very much not to be. There's nothing like quitting to realize that, boy, was that never your talent. <laughs> um, and in the midst of all of that, actually, uh, September 11th happened, and weirdly enough, September 12th, 2001, I started stand-up comedy just as, like, my insane reaction to, uh, I guess, I don't know, fear to doing something I was really scared to do. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I did it for probably seven or eight years, but I was sort of ill all the time because I was so nervous all the time. And finally I said like, hey Jill, if you're not happier when people clap, maybe you're a writer. Um, and so at that point I started to look at writing opportunities and trying to figure out how to get into late night. And that still took a long time. Um, I was eventually contacted by a woman named Nell Scovell who was a writer for The Simpsons or wrote a Simpsons episode or two. And she wrote the book Lean In. She was a writer for Letterman. And she said, you know, I've seen your stuff. I can help you find out where jobs are. Mm. Um, and so she let me know when late night shows had openings and were taking packets. And I wrote a packet for last week tonight um, and John hired me, even though I didn't have any experience at the time. Very cool. And Joe, how about yourself? <laughs> My path to what, yeah. how I got to here? It's a, it's a long path. I mean, um, I started stand-up when I was 19. Uh, you know, didn't do well in college. Had, like, learning disabilities and, uh, you know, failed out of college quickly. And was starting stand-up at the same exact time and you know did it did it for four years moved to new york city uh eventually started working all the clubs in new york city that was back when uh, everyone was trying to get a, a set to get a development deal so someone would give you a sitcom uh, i started writing about myself probably about five six seven years in uh got a development deal with nbc uh, moved to Los Angeles to hopefully uh, get the correct writer to write my pilot. I got the writer that everybody told me if I got to write it that this thing would get on the air. Uh, and then uh, it never got on the air. And I had an agent at the time who I had to give a percentage to who just came in, did nothing, got a percentage of the development deal, uh, basically dropped me when the show didn't get made. And uh, I eventually moved back. I only lived in L.A. for about a year and a half. I hated it. Wanted to be a married guy as well as be a comedian. And I thought the dating pool was so bad out there. And as soon as I moved back, uh, I met my current wife. Uh, I had bought a, a apartment with a little bit of the money that I had from that development deal and then got lucky enough to make money after I sold that apartment and it also made me look good on paper when I met my wife who has a PhD in neuropsychology so she's like this super brain I'm this guy that failed out of community college she does uh, you know psychology and I was like a mental patient blah 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 cut to going to therapy because she suggested it cut to taking antidepressants because she thought that might work take Adderall for your learning disability and uh, I slowly became a, a way better version of myself but I definitely uh, can tell you 30 years in 
to stand up. I'm a way better dad, way better like husband than I would ever have been able to be before I met her. But uh, the career is definitely not as hot as it was before I met her. I had like I had done Letterman multiple times. I had comedy specials on Comedy Central. I was pretty much kicking ass, and uh, I don't know if I would connect it to age or the social media that didn't really exist when I used to get on TV a lot. Mm. So when you got on a TV show, it just aired and it was gone. It wasn't like now when you get on a late-night talk show and the late-night talk shows have social media you know, platforms and they blast your set out and you start to get fans like all these young comics now. So uh, I find myself fighting against time, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, like I literally have nothing else that I can do. So I'm like, uh, whereas when why I said Jill, I wanted to talk to you. I th I thought about this because because um, you said early on, what comedian like is really or you know doing something right? Like when I look at some of the guys that are blowing up on social media during this pandemic. Some of them have just looked at it as if this is a time to have your own talk show on, on social media and do, like, one guy I know, this guy, um, you guys probably know him, and I forget, uh, Schulz, uh, Andrew Schulz. Like, the guy gets, like, over a million views on all the videos, and he, brought, he put a little team together in a little studio, and he does topical stuff every day. And I started to think as a guy that's failing at social media uh current events do well on social media and i never wrote current events my act has always been about myself because i come from that development deal style and now i'm like should i just hire somebody who's really good at pumping out because jill probably knows there's people i can write a current event joke but people that do it for a living can write 50 of them in two hours like that's the difference like I'd I, I can be on camera and deliver them, but I've I've thought maybe I put a little money together and and hire a little team, and now you got stuff to put up there because I'm very good at the editing and all that kind of stuff and transcribing. I, I I've, I've learned it all, but the uh... so I got to get you my resume then, so that if you're looking for people, because Jill, I don't know if Jill's going to do it, but I used to sell jokes freelance so i can crank out some topical monologue jokes all right all right i bet i bet jill someone i can't afford like she <laughs> you did it for uh, john oliver so it's like i i started sending texts to other comics i'm like who are our friends that are the best at roast jokes because if you can write really good roast jokes you can basically write donald trump jokes like crazy you can write political jokes because that's like basically like you're roasting them right is that what would you say that Jill from being someone who wrote for a, a talk show was it was it all it's a lot of political humor right there is I think yeah I think last week tonight was a weird combination of writing Donald Trump jokes and then also writing jokes about like weird intricate tax policy things and you know the one yeah that's right up my alley <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that but yeah I think that uh it's amazing. There are people that are just joke machines and social media has made late night very different and has made comedy very different because you either have to make the jokes right away immediately or you have to have like a better take that no one's ever had because all of Twitter is already on it. If Trump did something today, you know, and so I think 
I think we are, I hope, I think we like have reached our crest of Trump jokes. And my hope is that now people are exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that they burnt me out. Um, there's a reason that I'm not doing this anymore. It's well, it burned you out. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're sitting in a room writing a million jokes that gets boring after years. Well, yeah, I mean, every job's a job. I think right. that's the thing that, you know, even your dream job's still a job and you have to do it on days that you maybe didn't want to go to work. You're still there. You're still writing jokes and you're not writing them because you're inspired. You're writing them because it's your job. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, I can understand that. I would write some Biden jokes if he'd ever come out of his basement. <laughs> well, the other great thing about being a good joke writer on paper, it's kind of like, if a if a kid can throw 98 miles an hour you, you <laughs> notice it fast it's like i can read somebody who sends you a submission for jokes and three jokes you're like this guy's a good joke writer like you just know instantly whereas you know stand up is like it's different like it's kind of some people might think i'm funny and other people won't right i just think uh it's a cool skill to have and and to be able to I guess you can't tell if you gave someone a submission, though, that they can pump out a lot fast. Because, yeah, we don't want to – I don't want to – if I'm paying you, I don't want to have to fix your jokes. Like, I want amazing jokes, bam, right there on each subject. Give me some on this, some on that, bam, right? Well, when I did stand-up, I used to – I just found that I didn't enjoy it that much because I people would – interrupt or be the audience and just you know and i would be like i wrote these jokes why don't you want to hear the jokes that i wrote <laughs> in time i don't understand why you and then i realized like oh that's not a stand-up comic that's a writer <laughs> like yeah. you, if you don't want the audience to be a part of it then this you're not actually enjoying stand-up comedy you're enjoying writing jokes well, I've got a question for you, Jill, because I'm not from I'm not in the biz, right? Um, so when you got hired, when when John Oliver hired you, um, were you surprised? Did you feel like, oh, I'm a good fit for his show? Was it? I mean, what what happened? And and if you said to him, hey, why did I get hired? Like, is it is it just like, hey, you never know, or can you say, wow, this is a good fit for this person versus a different, you know? Sure. Um, I think I was shocked to get hired, of course, um, because it was my first job. And I, you know, had to go into an interview going, no, I have no experience writing for TV. No, I've never done this before. Um, but he'd read two packets by that point. Um, I eventually figured out that a lot of things that I did right, you know, before I got that job, I remember reading what they did at late night shows. I remember reading some article about how at Conan, they would uh, start at 10 a.m. and at noon, they would turn in their first packet of jokes. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So every day we're talking for a couple of years, I would, you know, for two hours, get up and just write jokes. I didn't have anyone to give them to, I didn't have anything to do with them but I learned how to write jokes because I had to, as opposed to writing jokes because I was inspired to write jokes or I was in the mood to do it. So by the time I got hired, it's like I built up a muscle mm. that I was able to use. And then in addition to that, I just was a weirdly good fit for John. Um, so much of what makes you write for a late night show is that you can just capture the host's voice. Mm. And weirdly, like I have the voice of a, 40-something British man, um, <laughs> more than I ever thought I did. 
Um, some of it is that I adopted his voice. Some of it was that he adopted my voice. Um, and that's true for any show. There's mm. shows that you write packets for and you're just like, I am not good at this. I, mm. you know, I don't speak well in this comic's voice. But it turned out I was just a good fit for John's voice. Sean, do you write all your own material? Yeah, almost everybody does. Unless you're at the level of, you know, Chris Rock or somebody coming out with a comedy special. Uh, pretty much everybody does, except occasionally we help each other out. When Jill was doing stand-up comedy, occasionally we'd, we'd talk and I'd be like, hey, how about this? Or she'd say, how about that? But pretty much we all write our own stuff. Huh. Okay. So, you know, I'd say the, ahead, to, to, to add on to what you said, I think the only time... And this is when comedians collaborate the most, and I don't think audiences realize it, but when you watch one of those Comedy Central roasts, like I've done probably like three or four roasts in my career, you, you, your friends help you out like crazy. You're like, what do you get? And they, you know, they're just handing you jokes. There's something about a roast that people let their friends help them, and then it like escalates their career sometimes, you know, like... I, I don't even think Lisa Lampanelli was someone that would be uh, have a problem with them knowing that she she would. I think she paid writers at times when she would get on a Comedy Central roast because they knew it was so important for their career to kill on one of those roasts. Hmm. That, it actually you know, has made a bunch of people's careers. Yeah. So here, here's a question that you know I think a, a layperson or someone not in the business would would uh, wonder. Um, you you don't have a do you have you don't have a coach, right? I mean, you're basically self-employed. You don't have a team. You don't. I mean, at, at this at this level. So, where do you get your advice? How do you how do you get coached? How do you, how do you know whether you know you're going in the right direction, not the right direction? I mean, there's no there's no support group, is there? <laughs> well, there's no HR department. That's for sure. Well, one thing you do is, I mean, yes, there's no manual to get you through this. And if there is, it's probably not going to get you through it. But, um, you know, the advice that I give to people who want to do it is you need to make friends who you think are really funny, you know, who who laugh at the same things you laugh at and are funny. And one of you is going to break through and you're all going to help each other. You know, you just, you watch people break through. Someone you know does it before you, and then they go, oh, I have an agent. Like, I'll let my agent talk to you. You know, whatever they can do. But they have to be people who are funny, and they have to be people who are good people, who are going to help you out. And they're also just the people that are going to be there for you when comedy sucks, because it mostly does. Like, mostly you don't get things. Mm. And so you want your friends around there for all of that, too. Hmm. Unfortunately, the the funny comedians though are um, they're funny. So if you're not, <laughs> they don't want to be friends with you. That's just the way it works. It's like funny people are friends with other funny people. If you stink, you can't fake your way in it. They like I said, where you can read somebody's jokes that and in, in two seconds you can tell they're funny. They know. You know, you're not going to see Carrot Top hanging out with Chris Rock. It's not going to happen. They're not buddies. Uh, well, that's, I mean, it's sort of like if your life is basketball, your friends play basketball, you want to hang out with the good basketball players. Sure. Just, they're more fun to hang out with. And same with comedy. You want to hang out with funny people. And it really, it really, the way to answer Tom's question a little bit is you get help from other people if you're not a jerk. And somebody will say, hey, you know, 
this is, this is a thing you're doing wrong, or here's, let me introduce you to this person. He books a show in Brooklyn or whatever. Uh, I want to ask, there's one feature I want to add to our, to our show, and I've never done it before, but I want to ask the comics, what's the favorite joke you have of your own that is like 30 seconds or less? <laughs> Go, Jill. Oh, Jill probably has 100 of them. Uh, yeah, I, I will give you one that's 10 seconds or less because I feel like nothing in writing works quite the same said out loud. Uh, we get it, comma. You went to Oxford. <laughs> I like it. I would say there's no such thing as a pizza bagel. I'm a New Yorker. There is no such thing as a pizza bagel. Putting sauce and cheese on a bagel doesn't make it pizza any more than driving my car like an asshole makes it a Corvette. <laughs> like that one too. <laughs> I almost have I almost have no jokes that are that short. Like everything I have is like two to three minutes. Like uh, so I could tell like the quickest joke I can think of um, was a girl, uh, a friend of mine uh, had this Jewish girl that he was friends with and I said, hook me up, hook me up. And he goes, she won't go out with you. You're not Jewish. I go, what's the problem? He goes, you know, because of the Holocaust, they got to get their race going again. I go, dude, I've lived in New York. I've lived in L.A. You guys are back. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jill took an extra second. Well, listen, I thoroughly enjoy these things. You know, they seem to get better and better and better. No insult to the early people. No insults going out, you know. But, um We'll have links to your websites. We'll have links to, you know, your bios. And, you know, these podcasts are reaching millions and millions of people. I wish I could take more personal credit for it. But, you know, the schools are repurposing them and they're getting retweeted and reposted. And, you know, it's all kind of all kind of cool stuff. Um, we did a Q&A several weeks ago with uh, Sarah Cooper. And that turned out really great. And it looks like She's even going to be doing a Netflix special now coming up, right? So, um, I mean, I don't know. Your industry is weird, man. I mean, I know, you know, I guess it's so, like any day you can wake up and say, "Oh my God, that person's famous," you know, and uh, or that's look at that, you know. So, but we're hoping that the pandemic goes away. We, we're hoping that things go back to normal a little bit, and that we can get some people to uh, to book you live in front of people. <laughs> Tom, I didn't mean my question to be the end of the show. I just wanted to interject it. <laughs> well, we're I'm coming up on a hard stop. I actually have a, a gig that I gotta go to. So that's why that's why we're in this thing. But nice. um, hey guys, we love these. These are great. Um hang in there. You know, uh, again we're we're hoping that the world does go back to normal and uh thanks thanks for your time. I mean our, our audience really enjoys these sessions and uh and, and, and hearing about, you know, how you're dealing with uh, with the pandemic and, and the future. So but this was another session of Coffee in the Clouds with comedians. And I'm glad we got Jill recorded saying she'll help out her friends. So we're in good shape now. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. All right. See you guys. Yep.